Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another mailbag where I answer your questions, your concerns, your inquiries, and ultimately your comments about tennis and anything else. About 24 hours ago, I posted in the YouTube community tab over 100 comments once again, which I love to see. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, and I also posted on Twitter where you can follow me at Gil Gross. I let the replies build up there and I'll get to those first. Shout out on this mic flag. Look at this new addition to the setup here. Shout out to Amy for that. So we're uh, sprucing things up here as well. Before I get into it, uh, Monday is the annual Monday Match Analysis Award. So I just want to say there are some comments that I received that are asking me, Gil, who's the player of the year? What's the best match of the year? All of these things. I cannot answer those questions in this mailbag because they're under seal. They're under wraps for Monday's show. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I hope you understand. I think you will. Um, all right, let's get going here. Starting with Twitter. First one from Natalie. Why can't Rafa just win the Australian Open again? Is it more the opponents are better, whom he lost to, or is it a matter of the surface as well compared to the U.S. Open annually where he has more success? Um, well, I do think that the U.S. Open being a little bit grittier and high bouncing uh, does help Nadal slightly, but I have to say his his results in Australia have been pretty good. So I hesitate to say that there's some kind of issue with with Rafa in Australia. There is the match uh, against Novak in 2019 where you obviously had, similar to Roland Garros this year, a combination of Rafa not being at his best and Djokovic being at a stratospheric level. Loses all the big points and all the big moments against Dominic Team in the semifinals this year. Uh, the year prior, if you go to 2018, wasn't healthy against Marin Cilic and had to pull out. He has surprisingly not been all that healthy in Australia. If you look at his, you know, entire career, which is strange because it's the first major of the year. So you'd think that Nadal would always be a-okay in Australia, like a lot of other players. I think if you if you take the whole field, it's generally the major where most people are the healthiest. I'll go back one more year. He loses another final to Roger, where, of course, he was up a break in the fifth set. So I would say he's got to keep plugging away. He's got to keep making, doing all the things that he has been doing uh, on hard courts, improving the, the plus one tennis on the forehand, keeping that aggressive mindset even in the big moments, beefing up the serve, and, and continuing to kind of... Uh, Hope the down-the-line forehand and the backhand are, are both firing. Next one is from the Omnipresence. I think the only tennis player I, that enjoys going five sets is Rafa Nadal because of his charismatic style of play, but the five-set match in general is not entertaining should the tour abandon five sets. Now, certainly at some point in the future, I need to go into this in more detail. Because it's this debate that kind of pops up all the time. Sometimes it feels kind of random to me where suddenly, at least on Twitter, there's this whole best of five, best of three debate. And it seems that there's no rhyme or reason to when people start talking about this. But it's pervasive. This topic, it's always around. It's always here. 
Andy Murray, I think, recently said that he can't sit through a best-of-five match himself. So he's kind of in support of best-of-three. Not as a player. As a player, he likes five. But as a fan, as a viewer, he prefers three. Novak also said he prefers three recently. Nadal and Federer, I believe, have always said they they like five. So there's a divide not only in tennis's kind of fan base, but also within the players. Uh, here's what I have always kind of said about this. You got to give me a reason to change this, okay? It's always been best of five. So if you're going to change it, you got to give me a reason. And so far, the reasons aren't there. They're not being developed properly. Novak Djokovic, when, and this is not his fault. This is not. Because there's this theory that goes around about the average tennis player. It's not a theory. It's a uh, data point that is taken out of context. That the average tennis fan is 62 years old. That was a sports business journal study from two years ago where the, the study clearly showed for cable television, which is just one segment of the viewing population, streaming not taking into account, which skews younger. In that certain data set, every sport got older. So did tennis. Went from 52 to 62. The only sport that got younger was the WTA, which is, you know, still tennis. So I've, I've talked about this before. I talked about it with the UTS when that kind of surfaced and Patrick Muradoglu used that data point again to market this new format of tennis, the same thing for best of three. Djokovic again used that data point that the average tennis fan is 62. And there's this theory about attention spans and the fact that that people don't have the attention span in, anymore to watch best of five. And I need data. I need someone to prove that because I'm just not sure that's the case. And I I think that if you are someone who is willing to watch a set of tennis, then you're probably, in some way or another, you're willing to watch five or you're willing to watch, you know, tennis for an extended period of time. I don't think you're bringing in new fans by shortening the format. I don't think tennis loses fans by playing best of five. That's my two cents on that. As far as personal opinion goes, to each their own, I would never invalidate anyone who thinks that they would prefer best of three. Obviously, that's your personal opinion. But in terms of a, a change being made, I got to see more than what people have been presenting. What people have been presenting is, quite frankly, not much at all. Let us go to the next one. It is from Lynn. Where do you think Yannick Sinner will be ranked this time next year? I'll just say top 10. I don't want to get too specific, and this is another thing. I know that there's some questions about where I think people will be ranked next year. These are things I got to simmer on. I got to put thought into it. The mailbag, it's tough to answer these questions, but I'm comfortable saying top 10. And again, the main data point with me and Sinner, trajectory. Look at trajectory. It's so important. It's something that everyone should be watching when it comes to young players. How quickly are they developing? Yannick Sinner... Man, he wasn't that good as a 15-year-old. He, he, he got good really fast, but 15, 16, all of a sudden he was, he was really intriguing once he was 17, and now he's just, now he's just crazy good. And he's improving so fast, you got to just take notice. It's impossible not to. Athletically, he's, he's moving so much better. His forehand used to be all over the place. It used to be a total loose cannon. His backhand is natural. 
His serve can still get bigger, but man, he's getting so much better, so much faster that I think he'll be in the top 10 next year. Not so much faster, just so fast. Next one for Main Man Marshall. What a Twitter name. In the future, will players start to adopt two different strokes? For example, a two-handed backhand for returning or defense and a one-handed backhand for offense slash power. Well, that I'm that I don't think so. Your specific example, no, I just don't see that. I don't think that you could hone both techniques at a professional level. I don't think that can be done. However, one hand on both sides, that intrigues me. Interestingly enough, what I've seen more, and Marion Bartoli on the women's side comes to mind, and it's it's absolutely wild that I've mentioned Marion Bartoli twice, I think, in back-to-back videos. That is wild. I think when Med- Medvedev's backhand overhead with two hands, and I mentioned her name. Anyway, that's crazy. But I'm going to talk about her again and say uh, she's an example, and I've seen some others this, uh, on the WTA who are two hands off both sides. And there's an ATP player, and I apologize, but his name is slipping my mind. But what really intrigues me is one hand on both sides. Is anyone going to be able to do that? Because if you can hone the the incredible power of the modern forehand, and you can use that on both wings, that to me is dangerous if someone can figure out a way to do that. Next one from V. Should players start trying to make matches physical against the big three at Grand Slams? Till now, no one would expect to wear them down, but there's growing signs of physical dips in matches. I've maintained for a while that they're vulnerable in the next match if someone can rough them up. Yes. Yeah. I think my answer to this question is is yeah. I think we've seen it with Federer for a number of years now, where Roger has had a match clock. And there are countless examples, surely there are, but uh, one, and I think there's two versions of this. One is, let's say, at the U.S. Open when he lost the five-set quarterfinal to Monfils. Was this, what year was this? It was the year Chilich won the U.S. Open, so I think it was uh, 2018. Is that right? No, 2016. Yeah, yeah, not 2018. What am I talking about? 2016, uh, Chilich won the U.S. Open. Federer loses five sets to Monfils, Monfils in the quarterfinals, and then Chilich beats him in three. And that's the kind of match where he kind of comes out flat, and I think we've seen that with Roger for a number of years. And even cases, especially like in matches against Djokovic, maybe 2015 Wimbledon final against Novak, a great match, but it felt like Federer kind of faded uh, as, as that match went on and on, and Novak never went away. So I think with Roger... You've seen two things. One, if he plays a long match, he's vulnerable in the next round. Two, four sets, five sets, he's not always dependable um, to really to really hold up his level against some players. And look, don't don't expect that that's not gonna come into play with Nadal and Djokovic. It will. It'll happen. Father Time is undefeated, and we will start to see that. Now, it is perfectly overcomable. You know, it's it's not the end of the world if Djokovic or Nadal can no longer go five sets back-to-back semifinal-final 
um, like Djokovic did at the 2012 Australian Open when he played a marathon against Murray and then played a marathon against Nadal and somehow was standing at the end of it. Um, you know, it's not always going to be like that. It doesn't, and they that's just going to be the new reality. But in general, I think... You know, for Dominic Team, for example, I have been begging him to make matches physical against the big three, uh, because I've I've kind of felt like in his physical prime he should be able to have a physical edge. Tactically, I've realized that that it just it hasn't played out that way. It it doesn't work that way, and that's just not how Dominic Team is going to win. I've kind of come to terms with that. But in general, especially if you're if you're a guy like Daniil Medvedev, yeah, that that has to be how you're beating them. You're not beating them any other way right now. So, uh, yes, would be my answer. I think players should try to make matches physical against the big three. By the way, good luck with that. I mean, hey, I, I, it's almost like... That's almost like saying, oh, like, make sure to keep Djokovic moving. Or, yeah, put him on the run. Everyone tries to put everyone on the run. It's hard. This, this, is, not, this is not really a tactic. Making someone, making a match physical, making someone move a lot. It's not really a tactic. It's just tennis. It's just what you try to do. And it's hard. So let's keep that in mind. Uh, do you think Djokovic's chances, oh, how do you think Djokovic's chances are against the next gen on grass? There are a couple questions that I've, I, I think I got this week about the next gen on grass. They haven't been able to make any noise at Wimbledon. And I think it takes a little bit of time. I think moving on grass is is weird. It's a slippery surface. The traction isn't great. And I think it takes some time to get a good feel for those courts. And I don't think I don't think Medvedev has it. Um I think, you know, I don't know. I mean Tsitsipas lost to Fabiano, a player he really shouldn't lose to at all. Uh it's it's hard to say. Zverev has been too passive at Wimbledon. You know, I, I vividly, I don't know, um, if I if I think back to his matches, I just feel like he's not, he hasn't been playing grass court tennis, really. So, none of them are close. You know, I think Djokovic, I think if there's any major that I feel kind of comfortable with, especially because Federer is kind of in the mix more so at Wimbledon than the others uh, to a greater extent, Wimbledon is the major that the next gen are furthest away from winning. Then Dominic Team, if if he wants to do better at Wimbledon, he needs to return better, which he's still not really doing. Not really. He shows glimpses of it, but let's let's think about you know on a consistent basis over an extended period of time against all opponents, right? Medvedev is one thing. He was he did a good job in the ATP Finals against Medvedev. Uh, then Daniil's serve got unplayable in the third set. But uh, let's see if team can sustain good returning over an extended period of time. Uh, and, and that'll tell us a lot. Lost to Sam Query two years ago, last time Wimbledon was held. Did Dominic team. This one from Sedant. I know this might be a bit far-fetched, but do you think Medvedev can get to the world number two ranking by the end of Wimbledon next year? He has very little to defend until post-Wimbledon. Huge room for improvement in results. Australian Open, Sunshine Double, plus Clay. He's only 2K behind Rafa. Well, yes. I don't know how much that means because after he 
let's say, makes a run in the rankings, the yearly rankings in the beginning of the year, he's going to get hit with a avalanche of points to defend in the summer. So, I mean, getting to world number two, first of all, he's... First of all, I think Nadal has a lot of cushion, so I don't think it's overly likely. Uh, but if I'm just going to say in general, I don't know... I don't know that it's something to really be be focusing on too heavily, although it would be a great achievement for him to get to number two. Uh, I'll also add that I don't think that the struggles for Medvedev on clay is some sort of coincidence. I think that they are, there are legitimate issues for Daniil, and I it's just harder for him to it's harder for him to do damage on the surface because of how his strokes just they're flat but they don't skid you know his backhand's a really tough shot it stays so low it kind of skids through the court and his forehand it's a little bit underpowered but he can redirect if it comes in with a lot of pace well on clay it comes in with less pace and he doesn't get that jump that tops that jump that you get off the court if you hit with heavy topspin because his forehand just doesn't have those rpms yeah the, the cards are stacked against him that doesn't mean he's going to do as bad on clay as he did this year uh, because I think he was in a bit of a mental rut this season. But don't expect him to tear it up on the clay. Who is the biggest threat to Novak at the Australian Open? Medvedev, Team, Tsitsipas, or Rafa? That one from Amin. Um, you have to say... You have to say team. He's 5-2 and two against Novak in his last seven. A couple of those were when Djokovic was not, not himself in, in 2017. Um, and I think one in 2018 when Novak was just working back into form... But yeah, look, and I don't think it's really a product of it of the 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 matchup being awful for Novak. I do think that Djokovic gives Dominic a lot of rhythm, and team can sometimes use that to his advantage and get really comfortable and play a lot of balls and start to feel his grounds his power ground stroke game really well. And I think Novak can do a little bit more disruption, and I think he can he can go to the net more. To, to bother team a little bit. Um, you know, so th there are some things. With that being said, I really think it's just a matter of of how dangerous Dominic team can be. I don't think it's a big matchup issue. I think team has just gotten the best of Novak a couple times. And, and, you know, obviously when it counted most, when the chips were down, best of five Aussie Open final last year, it was Novak. So, I mean, Djokovic wouldn't trade his five and two, probably if if he could, he'd rather take the two and and have the Australian Open victory, right? This one from Owen: If you were to play against any active professional tennis player, who do you think you would be the most competitive with, matchup wise? What a question! Um, now I'm gonna I, my my answer to this is gonna surprise you guys. It really is because you're probably thinking, oh. The serve at the ATP level is so hard, difficult to return. So I'm going to pick someone who doesn't serve so fast. So maybe I can return it. 
That, that my friends, is not my strategy. That is not my strategy at all. I don't think that I'm going to have a good time returning any ATP serve trying to win points off, you know, on return. I'm going to have a terrible time. That's going to be really difficult for, for anyone at my level. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a John Isner and I'm going to try to win points on serve. So now I know I could take or Evo Karlovich, you know, I'm going to do that. Forget the return games. I don't think, I don't care if it's Diego Schwartzman across from me at net. I'm not, I'm not going to win points on return. That's not going to happen. So I'm going to hit two first serves. I'm obviously going to hit them flat. I think when I flatten out my serve, it's maybe one, I think it's like one, 110, 105 if I, when I flatten out my serve. So, you know, I can go from there and I can try to, you know, hit some big forehands. That's really all I have. That's my only chance to, to win some points. <laughs> so, yeah, Isner or, or Karlovich, someone like that. From New Day, your take on the curse of winning the ATP Tour Finals for everyone not named Federer or Djokovic, Dimitrov, uh, Dimitrov, Sasha, and Tsitsipas have never been able to follow up that that um, big win. Could it be that it was undeserved in all three cases? And will Met will Medvedev chart a different course? My take on this is that the ATP Finals has has shown to be a tournament that is you know just kind of suitable to to young players at this point. I do think that. It's a pretty physical endeavor. I do think that there is a motivation factor that plays a huge role. I think that Novak in recent years has relaxed this time of year. Djokovic used to own the year-end finals. What did he win? Four in a row? I don't have that exactly off the top of my head. He won a lot from 2011 to 2015. I think he won four, four or five or something like that. So... You know, Novak used to own it. He hasn't won it in a while now. And it, it may be since 2015. I'm not I'm not quite sure. But I think motivation's a big factor there. We know it's a weakness for Nadal. For Federer, end of the year, banged up. Okay, he has not been. It's the same reason. He hasn't been good in the U.S. Open, Roger Federer. It, it's just not where he's played his best tennis. Uh, because end of the year, it's not, it's not advantageous for these guys. So... I think the young guys are winning it because it's a good chance for the young guys to to win a tournament due to the format. Uh, you can't work your way, you know. You can't really play easy matches. You don't have your first and your second round where, if you're a, a Djokovic or a Nadal, you can win two and two, and you know you're 100 percent fresh at the end. It's every day against not quite every day. It's almost every day for a week. It is best of three. Um, but I think it's a tough task for these guys. So I don't think it's undeserved at all. I just think it's a format thing. Will Medvedev chart a different course? Again, you know, Medvedev, for some reason, the the temperature on Medvedev seems to be really hot and cold. It's either he's a god or he is terrible. And obviously it's neither, you know? And now he he does have some godlike qualities. I'm not going to lie. I'll be completely honest with you. He has some godlike qualities. But... Daniil just has some unbelievable unicorn-like strengths. Some things he does that is just eye-popping and incredible and amazing. Then he's got some some really fairly basic weaknesses. Both are true, 
And I think Daniil Medvedev is really good right now. I think he's the, um, you know, I think he's the fifth or sixth best player in the world. And I think he's got, you know, a, a lot to um, maybe, you know, a lot of work to do to try to close that gap and become the first or second best player in the world. So, you know, I, I think he's chilling. It was kind of a tough year for him, but predictable, really, really predictable. Um, and as players, again, I think players now know what to expect from him and it's going to be really hard for him, you know, when the conditions are a certain way. If Medvedev is at his best, this one from Mason, is he the fittest player on tour or is that Dominic Team? I think Dominic Team is the fittest player on tour, but that doesn't mean in a match between Medvedev and Team that that Team is going to hold up better. It's a point I made obviously when I was going over the the final on Sunday, uh, the ATP Finals. Obviously, I think Team was the more weary player in the third set, but that's not because Team Team's in incredible shape, uh, but. He was, Medvedev was making him work too hard. I don't think anyone can sustain the work level that team was having to sustain. Again, he puts everything into every shot and he's doing a better job of reeling himself back a little bit. But when he's playing long rallies against Medvedev, Daniil has a certain way of just, you know, he's got very flowy movement. He really uses the pace against his opponent and I don't think he exerts as much energy. He doesn't glide. He glides around the tor court, whereas Dominic Team kind of doesn't. You know, he, he he works. He has to. He has to. He's more of an Adal-like player. You know, he really has to put a lot of effort into every single shot and all of his movement. He just doesn't have that easygoing quality about him. So. You know, we talk about how how Federer doesn't doesn't really get tired, especially you know when when he was in his prime, uh, when you know when we're talking about Federer in his twenties doesn't really get tired, just doesn't exert as much, right? Because he has that style. So Medvedev has that quality. Dominic Team doesn't have that. So I think Team is fitter, but I think Medvedev a lot of the time can last longer. We are almost done with Twitter. Two more. When it's all said and done, who will have the better career, Team or Andy Murray? Look, I think that Murray is a better player than Team for the most part. From, from what I've seen, at this point, Team has not reached the heights of Andy Murray by any means. With that being said, Team is in a rather, could be in a rather advantageous advantageous generational position. First of all, his own generation was rather weak. There aren't a lot of good 26, 27, 28, 29-year-olds. Not good. I shouldn't say good. I should say great. There aren't a lot of great players born around the time Dominic Team was born. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, they're getting old. So Team is in a position where he's really developed over the years. His development is ahead of where Tsitsipas and Zverev and, and Medvedev's development are. And of course, you know, anyone younger than them. He's ahead of them. 
No doubt about it. It's clear as day. So, uh, you know, if let's just say if um, if some people at the top right now, if they go away, if it happens quicker than we expect, Dominic team could end up with better career accomplishments than Andy Murray. I think there's a good chance that happens. But you're taking Andy Murray, who was the pick chose the worst possible moment in the history of the sport to be born versus Dominic team who seems to be in a pretty good spot. So that's the difference. I'd say last one from, from Billy, my, my best friend from my childhood, what toothpaste do you used? Uh, it's crest. I use crest 3d white. Thank you for the question. All right. <laughs> Uh, top comment on YouTube is from Muhammad. Hey, Gil. Dominic Team has proven himself as a top three player in 2020 and hopefully will climb the ladder next year. But the thing that concerns me is his ability to win finals in big events. He's 2-7 and seven in finals of Masters, Grand Slams, and ATP Finals. Do you think this is alarming for Team that he fails to go over the line in the biggest matches or just bad luck that he faces a tough opponent every time he reaches a big final? Uh, does he need to change anything to overturn this stat? So, yeah, there's a weird juxtaposition, I'd say, in 2020 because team has a great tiebreak record, and I've lauded him repeatedly for his play under pressure and just the, the sheer fearlessness of Dominic team's play under pressure in 2020. But you flip the coin around, and he lost his two biggest finals. And... He almost lost the U.S. Open final, a match that he really shouldn't have. He came into that U.S. Open final playing way better tennis than Alexander Zverev and went down two sets to love because his nerves were debilitating. So that's the premise of the question. I totally understand that. I get that. But I think the answer is more... Uh, the fact that he runs into really great players. I, I honestly believe that. So first, got to look at his whole body of work. And I saw this question, so I pulled up Tennis Abstract. 17 and 11 is his career record in finals. That's really good. It's really hard to do at the tour level. Most players who, who reach... Maybe players who reach that number of finals generally are above 500. But still, that that's great. That's really good. And especially early in his career, he was winning these finals. When he was 42 in the world, he won his first final in Nice when he was 26 in the world. He won Umag, 24 in the world, Gestad, 19, uh, Buenos Aires, 15, Acapulco. So you can see as he's climbing the rankings before he's a great player. And that was all 2015, uh, clay court, tearing it up, winning clay court titles, when, um, you know, when you're that age, first of all, it can be very hard at the beginning of your career, as Felix Ojealiasim has learned. It can be very hard to win titles, to win finals. But, you know, when team is at that stage, these are massive matches. These are the biggest matches of his life, of, of excuse me, of his life. And he's coming through rather impressively. And he puts together a really great record in finals. Uh, and just overall, I mean... You know, biggest, his first big hardcourt final. Beat Federer at Indian Wells. Um, 
in 2019 that was. So I don't think the pattern is all that alarming. Daniil Medvedev played a great match at the Tour Finals this year. He did. Djokovic beat him in five at the Australian Open. You know, team didn't play a, a, a great fifth set, but man, I mean, Novak earned that. You know, that's that's losing to that's losing to a great player who's whose qualities of greatness is uh is on full display. Then you got, you know, three losses to Nadal at, at the French Open. Needs no introduction, needs no further elaboration. So I am not concerned about Dominic Team's record in the finals. I think he has shown to to be a player that can handle the, the pressure, can handle the big moments. He uh and you know, as he gets more and more confident in his abilities and in his training, he will just get better and better in those moments. Not concerned at all about Dominic Team. US Open Final was just a special case. It was just all the stars aligned uh to, to just make him so nervous that he you know, it was just a special case. But overall, I would say uh, everyone should be very calm. If you're a supporter of Dominic Team, do not worry. Do not fret about the record in big finals. He will uh, turn the corner on that one. Jared Gonzalez asks, what is the best archetype to beat Djokovic? A team Vavrinka and Tsitsipas has a good serve, power off both wings, and the physicality to exchange in a multiple-stroke rally? Or a Medvedev, Murray, and younger Nadal, less power overall, but gets back every ball and outgrinds Novak. Or Federer, less power but good serve, variety, drop shots, gets Novak off balance and takes away rhythm. Yeah, if you throw Federer into this, it's kind of tough because I I find Federer's play style to be pretty unique and kind of unreplicated on the tour. You know, and... So I'm just going to focus on the first two. My answer for this has changed. It it has absolutely changed. Because I used to feel very strongly that to beat Novak Djokovic, you got to hit him off the court. You need to serve huge. You need to have unbelievable firepower because no way you're beating him at his own game. And Novak Djokovic is going to be more consistent than you. He is going to be fitter than you, he's going to be uh, more unattackable, and and he will outgrind you in a long rally. And that used to just be how the world worked. But obviously, I really do feel like things have changed. And now, as you find Novak Djokovic search for ways to end points, he does not want to engage in these brutal physical affairs. He simply doesn't. That has been abundantly clear. Now, I want to see... To what extent is that true? Because, again, this is this is about shot tolerance. There's levels to this. You're willing to play 10, po- 10 shots, point in and point out. You're willing to play 15 shots, 20 shots. There are levels to it. Five shots. Some players are down at five, right? I got to see 2021 where he's at. Because I don't think that his shot tolerance post-pandemic was really in the same place that it was uh, before the ATP pause. Again, I don't know why I keep saying post-pandemic. The pandemic is still going on. But the post-ATP pause. Um, now, I I really feel that if you can keep the ball in the court, you're willing to work really hard, and your quality of shot is good enough to keep Djokovic at bay, like a Pablo Carreno Busta, like a Roberto Bautista Agu, um, like a Daniel Medvedev, 
and the examples you gave in Andy Murray or Younger Nadal, uh, if you can play that style, you can have Novak Djokovic kind of pressing, find, tr looking, searching for ways to end the point before, you know, before, uh, before he really should, before he has that high percentage chance, and he can get matches now where his he has the inferior shot tolerance, and it's not a great position for Djokovic to be in because he doesn't have the massive weapons to end points, doesn't have the Nadal forehand. Does not have the Daniil Medvedev serve, right? Daniil Medvedev's in the same position as Djokovic. Once he's in a rally, he doesn't have great weapons to end the points. But Medvedev got the serve, right? So Novak doesn't have that one shot that gives him an escape valve. So let's keep an eye on this. Again, I'm still trying to figure this out. And I think, again, I want to see 2021. Uh, but undoubtedly... If we're going to compare, let's take extremes at the lower level. Jan Leonard Struff or Gilles Simon? Who do I think is a tougher matchup for Djokovic? I'm taking the two extreme spectrums without a doubt at this point in Djokovic's career. Gilles Simon. I would have told you Jan Leonard Struff a little while ago when Djokovic was younger. Here's one from, I'm going to start going faster because now I, there's a bunch of comments that don't have as many likes. So let's just see how many I can get through. Uh, let's see, how long have I been talking? 37 minutes. All right. Hi, Gil. Any thoughts on why Nadal Djokovic at Wimbledon 2018 was closer than the following matches they played off clay? Meaning what helps Nadal on grass courts be more competitive than on hard courts? Uh, his ground strokes, Novak's diminished or... Uh, Novak's diminished wide defense. Hmm. Uh, Wimbledon 2018, forehand down the line. Watch that shot. Every single time Rafa has a chance to hit that shot, he hits it and he hits it well. Also the backhand aggression that we saw bother Novak at the French Open. So he, he really just flipped the script and made both cross-court rallies a lot tougher on Novak. There have been some matches off clay where Djokovic has had a distinct edge in both cross-court rallies. But uh, when Nadal has his A-plus backhand in terms of uh, variety, the slice, the drive, sometimes loopy, sometimes flat, he especially needs the flat one cross-court uh, to stretch Djokovic out on his forehand and rush him on that side. And he's hitting his forehand down the line with frequency, accuracy, and consistency, which, by the way, was just uh, not the case in his uh, in his loss to Medvedev. Um, you know, when he's hitting that forehand down the line, that that's those are the ingredients he needs against Novak off clay. How do you see Federer's 2021 season to be panning out? And does he have a realistic shot of winning a major at 39 when he is not the best player uh, at, on grass for the past four or five years? Look, I'm going to give Federer the benefit of the doubt. Again, I keep saying this, but, you know, last time he played a full season, he had a darn good season. He, his level in 2019, if he can just kind of copy-paste that level, coming from surgery, if he can copy-paste that level into 2021, well, then he's got a good chance at winning, winning Wimbledon. You know, plain and simple. And I'd say he's got a decent chance if he can copy-paste that level um, in Australia. I think those two tournaments, 
they are kind of realistic for him if he can reach that that same level. So where he left off, to me, that's a level that can win a major. This is about probability, though. You know, this is about, it's it's not, I, I know that this is sometimes difficult to kind of wrap the mind around, but if I say Federer can, can win a major, I might, I might be saying, okay, I think there's a 30% chance, 35% chance that Federer can win in 2021. So, you know, do realize that it's not that, you know, I'm right if he does, or if I'm wrong, if he doesn't, it's just. I feel like there's kind of a 30% chance. So flip the coin. Gil, what does Nadal have to do to beat team if team is redlining at the Australian Open 2021? What can be Rafa's strategy? He's always a breakup and something like that, but he's lost two matches like that. Strategy against team. I think he kind of has the strategy against team. Um, you know, Mixing up the serve is huge, so go to the backhand more often than not. Make team, you know, really put pressure on team's backhand return, but then use that surprise tactic. Go flat to the forehand, especially on the big points, and Nadal gets even greater reward off of that shot uh, when when he can go to that. Um, also approaching the net on Dominic team's backhand. Now, hopefully he's not hitting, you know, hopefully he doesn't get hot. Look, it's, it's tough when a player's... Uh, redlining, but I I don't think that Nadal has the wrong tactics. He he just needs to perhaps get more aggressive in the big moments to kind of match what Team does and maybe take it out of Team's hands a little bit more. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna say anything, I think Team has been the more daring, more aggressive player. I know I got on Nadal. I don't remember the very specifics, but I know I got on Nadal after losing those three tie breaks at the Australian Open. Uh, for kind of just reverting back to the kind of the default mode of, of trading, especially with his forehand when he played Dominic team in those tie breaks. So, per, you know, perhaps just try to break team's rhythm a little bit more and take matters into his own hands. This one from Joe. Gil, love the show. Thank you. I've always wondered how much tactical study and scouting a player and their coach slash coaches employ towards a specific opponent. For instance, do you think Rafa practiced extra drop shot retrievals in his advance of his final with Djokovic at the French, or do players have a more consistent routine to get ready for each match regardless of the opponent? I imagine it varies with different players. It does vary with different players. Look, I haven't been on the tour, so I don't have first... Uh, hand experience, but uh, I have listened to uh, Darren Cahill, Brad Gilbert, um, read books, you know, read Brad Gilbert's book. So I I do know, just to name one, I do know um, that, that players do have preferences. Now, most of them don't want to scout on their own. Most of them want their coaches to do the scouting. And some of them want a, a really kind of detailed, like I know Andre Agassi. Let's just go back to Brad Gilbert. Andre Agassi was a total tactician. Uh, he was, you know, a machine. And he wanted to know really formulaically, what exactly do I need to do? Uh, give me all the patterns that you think might work. And I'm going to store all these in my brain. And it's not going to be too much. And let me go out and try to execute those. Some players are like, look, I can't be thinking out there. I just got to play. Okay, you can't be giving me... 17 paragraphs 
of what I need to do to beat this dude. None of this helps me. You know, and those are players who rely more on feel. Some players, they love to drill. Some players, they love to play points. They like to figure it out. You know, so there's, again, I, I really do think that there's two kind of molds that tennis players can sometimes fit into. And some are just more robotically programmed and they want information and they want tactics and they want patterns. Then some are more, uh, again, more instinctive. They don't want all that. They really want to feel their opponent on the court. They want to just hit the shot that, that they feel like is the best shot in the moment. Uh, and they, you know, that's just kind of how they're programmed. So it, I, it does, it varies a lot. And on the lower levels, you know, a lot of these, it, it also varies lower level, higher level. I mean, I think at, at the challenger level, there's a lot less of it than at the top level. What do you think are the primary reasons Nadal has struggled to win a second Australian Open considering his success with the hard court at the U.S. Open? Yeah, I mean, I guess I did kind of already answer that on Twitter. I won't go, won't go more into that. Best tools to compete on grass amongst the next-gen under-25 crowd. Hmm. Medvedev at the moment. But again, the movement is the wild card. It's the X factor. Movement on grass can be different. It can be weird. And who knows who's going to start to to move best on grass quicker. I mean, Djokovic moves so much better than everyone else on grass. And then Federer is also kind of in that realm, but just not quite there, in my opinion, at least now. Um, so movement's a big thing. Medvedev with the serve. I think he's a good returner. He likes the low bounce. Uh, he is really kind of developing his his net game, it seems, as as weird and wacky as it looks when he executes his net game. It, it seems like that is coming along. It is developing, and, and he certainly can use it. So all in all, I, I really think Medvedev. Hey, Gil, what is your take on TFO? Will he make it big? What do you think are his biggest flaws? Technique, mental side, tactical, team choice, tournament choice. Make it big. That's a little bit vague, but I guess no. Uh, forehand technique, long, you know, inconsistent, doesn't really hold up too well under pressure. Serve, same thing. I, I just, you know, the... The technique is a little bit wild and, you know, it results in lack of consistency. Backhand, uh, I, I like his backhand, but mostly on a quicker surface, on a slower surface, it it gets in the way. Mental side, I think sometimes it's great. Sometimes he's ready to fight and give it his all and really lay it all out there. And then sometimes he leaves me a little bit underwhelmed with his, his work rate on the court. So it can go both ways. Why has this information from the ATP not become more public? Um, and then a link to the rankings. This automatically means that Djokovic will remain number one until the beginning of March 2021. Yes, that is true. Novak will be number one for a for a very long time. That is just secured mathematically. Yeah. Oof, long comment here. Do I have time for this? Sure. Uh, what do you think of Daniil Medvedev? 
To me, he's one of a kind. Sometimes you find players with shot tolerance and consistency, but they lack in shot making or serve or vice versa. Instead, Medvedev has everything. He's a new prototype of player, very tall, with an almost Sampras-like serve, pure cardio machine, shot tolerance and consistency at the highest level, good shot maker, good at the net, great in absorbing pace, and also creative. He expresses his creativity by doing things totally unexpected and unorthodox. Another tennis com commentator defined him as a recreational player at the highest level, precisely for his capability of creating shots and situations absolutely extemporaneous. I'm not sure rec players do that, but okay. Allow me to compare players to a great movie saga, Terminator. That is the equation. Nadal is Terminator 1. Djokovic is T-1000. Medvedev is T-9000. I've never seen such a complete, play complete player. Must admit, movies are one of my weaknesses. I can talk music with you. I can talk food with you all day. Movies are a weakness. So I don't get the Terminator reference. I don't have that much to add, but but I, I, I love this. Great comment. Yeah, I've never seen anything like Medvedev. I've not seen a player that tall who moves that well. He covers the court. Not He doesn't cover the port court great for his size. Please, I don't want to hear that. Everyone needs to remove that for their, from their vocabulary. Never. It will hurt my ears. My ears will fall off if I hear that. He just covers the court at an elite level uh, for anyone, okay? He covers the court at an elite level. He defends at an elite level. It's also racket skills. To combine that with amazing shot tolerance and consistency, and then to have that serve, Again, it's a set of strengths that he has. It goes together. Very rare to see. Again, there are weaknesses there. So he's not invincible. He's got weaknesses. But yes, his strengths are very unique. Question about Federer. Already covered him. So I'll go to the next one. Preview for Grand Slam tournaments in 2021. Can't really do that. Interested in a couple of Canadians. Felix Auger-Aliassime and Denis Shapovalov. What do you see from them in 2021? Both their seasons were filled with highs and lows. Yeah, that is an understatement. Uh, what are the major ways they need to improve their games to get into the top 10? Dennis was briefly there this year. Strange. Strange seasons for them because, you know, they're just going through the same pitfalls. And it's weird because it's probably a coincidence, right? It's not, it's not the maple syrup that they're putting on their pancakes in Canada. That's definitely not what it is. It's just a coincidence, I think. But both players are giving away too much, too many gifts, too many unforced errors, too aggressive, uh, too just double faulting, way too much. You know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, I really have a lot of faith in, in Shapovalov and what he's doing, what he's done with his movement and his footwork. And I expect big things from him in 2021. I was really impressed with his level at the U.S. Open and Western and Southern Open, and I'm not going to just forget that. And to be honest with you, I don't really know what happened here towards the tail end of 2021. He is not good on clay. Although I do think that he can be good on clay if he just gets more comfortable moving on the surface. I think he can be very good on clay. Uh, I don't know what happened into our hardcourt season with Shapovalov. That's sometimes what happens when a player keeps losing first round. You know, sometimes I just miss their matches. That's what happens. Uh, but Felix, I'm getting kind of frustrated with his shot selection and his court feel. It's been a while now, and I'm not seeing it get much better. And I just, I really want to see him use his tools um, 
in a way that make more sense. Really do. I, I'm getting a little bit discouraged. Um, now, I, don't don't take that as me panicking. It's just a little bit frustrated with with his rate of development because I think he's has so much promise. I also want him to make his backhand a little bit better. I'm I'm increasingly seeing that shot as something that is not at a top ten level. So I think that's another thing. What do you think team needs to do? Yeah, mostly return right now that I want to see him get better. Let's see. What will be the top three? I'm going to save that one, guys. I'm going to save that for the beginning of 2021. Any any questions about the rankings? Uh, when Sampras was on the decline, there was a major opportunity on the men's tour that saw players like Leighton Hewitt win a few majors before Federer awakened. Once the big three re retire, who do you think will take the most advantage of that inevitable lull and win a couple of majors? Well, it's going to be very dependent on when that lull is. Especially for Djokovic and Nadal, who are still at the top of the sport. Federer is still, you know, technically can be at the top of the sport. We have to see how he comes back. So, it's really going to depend on when that is. Um, let's see. Let me just take a second for that. It's funny. I feel like that window is kind of surpassed because now, you know, I think there are so many players in there that that can have long-term success, but you know, it could be uh it could be a Zverev. It could be a Tsitsipas. It could be a Medvedev, but I also think that all, all of those player can players can have a uh, really long-term success spread over a long period of time. Not that Leighton Hewitt didn't. It's just, he stopped winning majors after the very early two thousands. So what, what, what would I uh, improve about the big three? That's another video. Gil, the PTPA dust storm has drifted, but what aspects of the players' complaints and concerns are likely to receive attention under Andrea Godenzi? Plans were in place for all kinds of changes over the next year or so to address these issues, apparently, but nothing much has happened outside of what has been compelled by COVID. Do you have any info from your sources? No, I haven't talked to people. Most of my sources, to be completely honest, I don't have I don't have time, you know, because I'm part-time here, I'm mostly just talking to journalists, so <laughs> I don't have direct sources. I'm just talking to other people with sources. Um, yeah, uh, we'll see. It's kind of unclear. I will say, uh, if you haven't seen my interview uh, with Brett McCormick of the Sports Business Journal, then, you know, we talk about what God Denzi uh, plans to change in a great amount of detail. The main thing that I think you'll want to know about is... Uh, making the Masters 1000s events two weeks instead of one. And, you know, that's that'll be that'll be interesting to see. The 250s won't like that because it'll make, make it so that the 250s go on during the second week of a Masters 1000 oftentimes. So uh, we get into a lot of stuff in that one. So make sure to check that out. It was, it was a couple, couple Monday match analysis is back. I'm at 55 minutes. I'm going to go five more minutes. Won't go over an hour. Um, yeah, people asking me favorite match of 2020. Let's see, this person says Rublev Chapo at St. Petersburg. Yeah, that was a great one. But I'm not going to say it. Not not going to give that away. I believe that Zverev has the highest peak level out of the next gen, rising gen, due to his potential big serve and easy power on the ground strokes. Your thoughts? Uh, 
hmm, are we counting team? If we're counting team, no. But if we'll take team out of this because he's older, I would say, hmm, tough one. And and we're not talking about any, we're not talking surfaces here. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's the most complete. He's probably the most complete at his very best. He rarely brings his peak level. Can I just say that? Rarely. You know, he's just not very consistent that way. But yeah, when when he's firing, when when everything's working, uh, when it comes to the combination of his max potential of serving, which is overwhelming, one of the biggest serves on tour, and you know when he's defending and trading, and his transition game is working, you know he's got that combination: offense, neutral, defense, all three, big serve, and uh, an extremely competent returning. He's they've got this unbelievably complete game. So sure, I agree with you. Uh, Yannick Sinner has the potential in the top eight. Yeah, I think he can. Yeah, I think he'll be top 10. So whether that's 10, 9, 8, 7, <laughs> something around that. Will team be the next world number one? Likely. Likely. I think so. Gil, how do you think Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev have improved this year? And what's next for them to build on 2021? Also, who do you who of the three will be team's biggest challenge outside the big three? Team's biggest challenge. Hmm. That's a good one. I think Medvedev, all things considered. Big serve to attack the the backhand return and just the return in general. Plus uh he can, you know, can handle uh the massive heaviness that team brings on the ball. But when the ball's bouncing high, remember that's a problem. For, for Medvedev. So on clay, you know, changes things. Uh, but I, I like the first part of your question a lot. What what have they all improved? Um, Tsitsipas has, I think it's mostly mental right now. And what I really like about Tsitsipas' season, he had a lot of disappointing results, no doubt about it. But to me, the French Open salvaged his season, his entire season. Because the year prior, he let a heartbreaking loss against Stan Wawrinka at the French Open, he let it ruin the rest of his season. And he admits that. I mean, he fell into a depression. And he had no confidence on the court, you know, for months after that. Because he couldn't he couldn't accept the loss. And he has an even more brutal loss at this year's U.S. Open against Borna Chorich. Which was an inexcusable loss, obviously. But it happened. And what does he do? A month later, he turns the page. And he makes a major semifinal. And he plays Djokovic five sets. And it was really an injury that probably affected him for the rest of the year, really, on and off, uh, and made it so that he couldn't compete like he wanted to in that fifth set. So, uh, mental for Medvedev, uh, for Tsitsipas, taking it less seriously. For Zverev, the forehand. I think the forehand has gotten really solid recently. Flattening it out, hitting out on it, not brushing up so much, not dropping the racket head under the level of the ball so dramatically like he used to do, just being more aggressive with it. For Medvedev, a little bit harder to say. A little bit tougher to say. But uh, ultimately, probably, hmm. I don't know how, how different he is. You know, I, I I can't give you a confident answer on Medvedev. Because I, I thought he played pretty similar to uh, how he was playing, you know, at his best in 2019. Last two weeks, winning Paris, winning the Tour Finals. But I, I can't. He looks pretty much similar to me from, from what I saw. I don't know. Oh, here's one with seven likes. 
Question about the young generation's footwork. As we all know, great footwork is necessary for success in an individual rally. Over the course of a match, it can determine someone's... Oh, and it can even determine someone's career. I agree with that. We all know how Roger's great footwork has helped him over the years. Rafa and Novak have great coordination and stability too. But aren't some of the young players having issues with stance stability? As great as team is playing, his legs and feet seem to be all over the place sometimes, especially on his backhand. How do you assess the the young and next gen's overall footwork and stability on shots, serves, returns, etc.? Team's footwork gets tired sometimes, that's for sure. Um, but overall, I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's. I don't think his footwork is nearly as consistent as as it can be. And part of that will will play into how consistent his overall baseline game will be, which is, in large part, you know, room for improvement. Um, but I do think he runs around the the backhand really well. I think his footwork is is good when it comes to that. I think, you know, his his movement is is explosive. He's a, he accelerates really well. Uh, he slides on clay very well. He's defending his backhand a lot better and can even do so with the open stance when he needs to. So overall, I don't see it as a really big issue. I think Tsitsipas has great footwork. Um, Zverev sometimes, his feet stop too much. And, you know, I think footwork is an issue with him. And sometimes maybe he gets away for, uh, away with it because he's a little bit taller. But the main thing with Zverev's footwork is sometimes... He he's just kind of waiting for the ball, and he's letting the ball drop below his contact, uh, below his strike zone when he doesn't need to. Or sometimes he's just not taking time away when he can be. He's not moving inside the court. So Zverev's footwork leaves uh, a bit to be desired. Um, Medvedev's footwork is pretty weird, and he doesn't really do things conventionally. But ultimately, I think it's pretty great. Uh, you know, I think he's generally in a really good position to hit his backhand. You know, to me, it, it almost looks jammed a lot of the times when he hits his backhand, but that's just where he likes to hit it. So it's a good question. I think maybe it should be dissected with more, um, with more, you know, detail at a certain point. But... For now, I think, you know, they're, it's not elite, but I also think it's good, which kind of fits into where they are with levels. Footwork is everything. Really is. All right. Um, I will wrap things up there. If uh, I didn't get to your comment, I will try to um, let you know if I if I like your comment, I'll reply to it. So um, obviously, feel free to ask the same question again in the next mailbag. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it is good to be back with another one of these. And stay tuned for the annual Monday Match Analysis Awards. Until then, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next time.